0: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Brand and Beyond podcast. I'm your host, Chris, joined, as always, by my co-host, Peace. Today, super excited about this episode. We are joined by the Chief Marketing Officer of Lacuna Technologies, Kate Wood. Kate Wood, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you feeling today?
1: I'm good. I'm good. Thank you guys for having me.
0: Yes. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, First and foremost, tell us, what is Lacuna Technologies? What do you guys do? A little bit more about that.
1: So, Lacuna Technologies is a transportation technology company, um, and specifically, we are focused on, we have a vision of collaborative management with everything that moves. And so, what do I mean by that? I mean, uh, taxis, TNCs, things like Uber and Lyft, freight, scooters, e-bikes, AVs, and eventually drones and flying taxis. And when I say collaborative management, I really mean between the public sector and the private sector. Public sector being the cities that own our city streets, parking in the curb, and the public or the private sector that uh, uses that infrastructure. So companies like Amazon, FedEx, Uber, Lyft, and EVs. And Lucuna provides technology that operationalizes that collaborative management. It provides both sides of the house with the visibility and insight that they need to work together cooperatively. And that cooperation ultimately drives things like efficiency growth and scale for the private companies, those companies are for profit, right? Like they're very bottom line driven. They need to grow and scale. But as well as healthy transportation policy on the public side, things like fostering sustainability, the reduction of greenhouse gas emissions, cleaner air for our communities, as well as social equity, knowing that transportation is the number one way out of poverty. And what I love about Lacuna and the work we do here is that mission-driven nature, the do-gooders I work with, along with this power with and power to approach to solving our chronic transportation problems, as a pow- as opposed to a power over approach. We're a double bottom line business, for sure. We are here to make money, but also doing so with technology that drives positive social impact.
0: Wow, that's super interesting. Um Love to hear that kind of mission you're on, and the fact that transportation is is like the fastest way out of poverty. That's so so fascinating. Um, shout out Lacuna for you know doing a lot of good in the world. But we're here to talk about you, of course, Kate. Let's start from the beginning. Tell us about your story, how and why. Start with everyone you want. Did you choose marketing as your career path? And you know, talk a little bit more about your navigation to rising through the ranks to now as a CMO and in in um in an executive leadership role. What has that all been like? Take us to the beginning, though.
1: Yeah. How much time do you guys have? Um, so I I was raised by a social worker and a teacher, which is to say I wasn't raised in a home that had a lot of exposure to corporate America or how to navigate it. And by the time I got to college, I was really obsessed with humans and human behavior specifically. So individually through the study of psychology, politically through the study of political science, and socially through things like sociology and anthropology. And no doubt, a product of my mother, who was a social worker, Uh, I was looking at a PhD program in clinical psychology. And luckily for me, I had a really wise professor at the time that said, do you want to study psychology or do you want to play with it? And I say, I think I want to play with it. And she said, go into corporate. If you hate it in two years, come back, we'll get you into a program. And so off I went early 20s, trying to apply this obsession of human behavior to anything applicable in corporate and eventually settled in quote-unquote communications. And I landed a position, entry-level editorial position at a nonfiction publishing house. And after a few years there, I understood that it wasn't necessarily the content of the books or the production process that really got me excited. It was the marketing that kind of really lit me up from the inside. So again, early 20s, living in Manhattan, knowing money was very important, needing to make it. I kind of paired my fledgling desire with marketing for the world of money and finance. And so I networked my way into a position at Morgan Stanley in their corporate marketing department. And this is really where I learned my foundational marketing skills. I learned what branding was, what advertising meant, how to work with creatives, how to write copy, how to run events, and how to work and manage with different agencies. And after a few years at Morgan Stanley, I still wanted more. I wanted more growth, more opportunity. I wanted to move faster. And so I was recruited to the startup world. And specifically, I landed at Agio. We were an IT company at the time and eventually became a hybrid IT and cybersecurity services firm. Super exciting to to experience that sort of strategic acquisition. And Agio really took a bet on me. They said, she doesn't know technology. But she does know our buyer persona. She knows finance and she knows how to market, talk the talk, walk the walk with our buyers. And so kind of off I went. I was a marketing team of one with creatives by my side when I started. And in my eight plus year tenure there, we grew the team of one using Salesforce for literally everything, including email marketing, which is kind of you know, sort of crazy to think about today, to a holistic marketing team of 10, including sales development with a highly sophisticated tech stack so we used Pardot and we scaled to high spot outreach qualified sendoso demand based visible and and so on and so almost after a decade of agio having risen from director to managing director ultimately to chief marketing officer i was ready for something new and i wanted to experiment with pivoting from selling managed services which is what we were doing at Agio, to a SaaS-based business. That business model and the multiples there were really exciting to me. And so I was recruited to a GPS tracking company that was looking at scaling their accompanying software products. And this was a great learning experience for me because having risen to CMO in my previous company, I had never interviewed at the C-suite level. I did not know what that looks like. And so I learned what to look for and what to ask during that process. And maybe even more importantly, I learned the difference between a transactional pipeline and a relational pipeline and where my skills really lie. And on a deeper level, the competitive side of me loves driving pipeline. But I have a creative side that really lights up when I work with top-notch creatives on brand and brand identity and putting beauty out into the world. And so kind of understanding that compassionately, this might not have been the best fit for me that's when i was recruited to lacuna and being able to build on not only just my marketing but now heading up public affairs is is super exciting
2: so bringing it back to your origins right your parents you said social work and a teacher mhm how did that background serve you in comparison to traditional roles or influences from people in in your position you know whether marketing influence business influence technology influence i think i mean you're coming from left field and how could you really just introduce us to how that served you almost was there was it almost a detriment to your your success you know coming to where you are now just walk us through that
1: yeah it's a great question and it was a very human upbringing you think about teaching right you're teaching kids at all levels you're interacting with humans you're you're kind of in a way walking alongside parents and raising the next generation and then you think about social work it's a healing uh, it's a healing art right and so I was encouraged, my sister and I were both encouraged to talk about our feelings, to say the hard thing. Um, and I remember my mom saying very early on, she's like, if you ever get into a situation where you are uncomfortable and you don't know what to say, just ask people questions about themselves. People love to talk about themselves. And I can remember being in a sort of a uncomfortable interview at Morgan Stanley, and I, that clicked for me. And I just started asking questions and I built really, really phenomenal relationships there. Um, So I actually think that human upbringing rather than a business upbringing has served me very, very well. Being able to work with people and understanding that in marketing, a lot of times while you are selling to an external audience, in order to do that well, you have a lot of internal clients, you have a lot of internal stakeholders, you need to make friends, you need to be well liked. And that's a skill to look for the best in people. Uh, So I think it actually served me quite well. And, you know, there is definitely a dialogue out there right now that talks about liberal arts versus trade. And that really comes back to who are you and what do you want? There are people out there that are best served going into the trades. And I think that's wonderful for me specifically, because I had that sort of human foundation, the liberal arts education, you know, doubling in political science and psychology with a minor in social, that served me incredibly well because I understand how humans showed up within different contexts and how to navigate
2: that. So you mentioned human upbringing being a crucial part of how it influenced to where you are now. I think that segues really well into the value and almost integration of what culture means within your position as a CMO. How would you say culture impacts brand or vice versa in relationship to what you've seen at the early stage being your, your previous role and to now with uh, Laguna, Laguna, excuse me.
1: Yeah. Um. So I think of brand as how you look on the outside, right? And culture is who you are on the inside. And so brand is really just simply an external manifestation of your culture. And so what does your culture value? Truth saying the hard things, speaking up, compassionate boundaries, empathy. And how are those values then reflected in your brand from your color palette to the photography you use, to the lines and angles in your imagery, to your logo, to your brand voice and your tone, and then collectively through your digital and social presence. So in the end, I really look at brand and culture as two sides of the same coin. Does that make sense?
2: It does. So previously, you actually mentioned how you found it inter- interesting that you are now almost being interviewed at an, at an executive role. As a CMO, you, you have to balance culture. You have to balance branding. How do you approach interviewing people tangibly and intangibly when it comes to looking at their skill sets, dealing with culture as well as branding and that relationship between the two?
1: I mean, first and foremost, you have to have the skills, right? Like you do have to have this experience. You have to have the skills that you're looking for. That is not to say you don't give people a chance. And so, When you are hiring for a junior position, a more entry-level position, you have a lot of wiggle room, right? Because it's kind of an open pasture. And that is when you get to be the most creative and you actually go into interview processes from a feelings standpoint, less than an intellectual standpoint. Do I think, can I feel that this person is hungry? Can I feel that they're passionate? Are they, do they understand social situations and how to navigate those? Are they socially adept? Like that's when it gets really exciting. Once you get into the higher levels, it does become a little bit more about matchy-matchy, right? Do you have the skills that we need to be able to grow to the next level? What are we looking for? Once you get that foundational skill set on someone's resume or you're working for a recruiter or HR or whatever, and you bring them in, that's again, a feelings interview, right? Do I like you? Like people, they'll say all the time in marketing. People buy from people they like. They don't buy from companies. It's the same thing working with people. And in fact, (laughs) I might get in trouble for this, but my dad told me probably in in my late 20s, he said, you know, Kate, people don't get fired because they're bad at their job. Life would be much more fair if they did. People get fired because people don't like working with them. And that has really stuck with me going back to sort of humans, human behavior, my human upbringing. Um bring the skills, be articulate, but then also be yourself, be authentic, because you want, at the end of the day, you want to be able to go have a drink with your coworkers. You you want to be able to do that. And in fact, at one of my companies, we had something called the mall test and it's a little archa- archaic because I, I don't go to malls anymore. But um, if you saw a coworker in the mall, would you run up to them and say, Oh my God, it's so good to see you. Or would you avoid them? And we use that in the interview process. If we thought we wouldn't want to run up to them, if we were like, oh, avoid them, which is another way of saying, like, do you want to grab a drink with someone at the end of the day? um, That, you know, that can be that's something to think deeply about.
0: Yeah, I love that. I was going to say, I'm going to take that the mall test. That's what it's called. That's amazing. That's amazing. It's a great way to really see, hey, do I actually enjoy this spending time with this person to to, to any extent? Because if I won't say hi to you in the mall, I see you in public, I won't want to work with you sitting next to you five days a week, six days a week, whatever it may be. Super
1: interesting. Yeah. And that also is a beautiful example of how culture can be human, right? It's not some eloquent words on a poster somewhere. That's where companies can really look at like, how do we actually behave in our real lives, right? Not just in the workplace, but in our personal lives. And then bring, bringing an anecdote like that, like the mall test into your culture. So people actually feel it and, they, and it's like laughable and it's funny and it's colloquial. And that's really where I think you see kind of the best leaders and the best executive teams when they take true human experiences and breathe life into it in their culture.
2: How do you, how do you package that when it comes to providing that cultural test, right? To your external audience or your external community or external customers, right? There's clearly it's a two, you know, a double edged sword, right? We have to deal with culture and branding internally, right? There's a certain vibe and way of living, right? Within the company. How does that translate to how you guys deliver that same feeling or, uh, processes for almost attracting customers or attracting community members or, attracting potential candidates?
1: Yeah. So I think it's it's a little bit of a marriage. So the first piece is the tangible, right? The swag, the posters, the post-its, the notebooks, the poster, like w- whatever it is that really visualizes your values, your vision, your mission, what you guys stand for. Those are sort of the foundational elements of your culture. But then what's really important from an executive standpoint, top down, setting that culture Are the executives embodying the values and are they setting processes in place that reward employees for also embodying and living those values? And so are you giving kudos to someone, whatever platforms, whatever collaboration tools you use, are you giving kudos with your actual values? And then how do you celebrate the value given, the kudos given in a more uh, sort of cadence? Is it? Is it an all hands meeting every month or every week where you literally kind of like list out and read out and show the kudos that one employee gave to another employee? Those are huge ego, emotional boosts for people being able to be praised in a public forum, but again, tying it back to the actual values. And so that's where operationalizing those values is really critical. And then if you do have a very dialed-in executive team, they are looking at the employees becoming culture carriers, and they are seeing where they can iterate on the culture over time. And this is where we really see healthy evolution of culture and ultimately impacting employee retention.
2: So you, you mentioned, from, for that, that segue, you mentioned a lot about how it's almost the executive team, and the leadership team's responsibility to act as, I like that phrase, culture carriers. So do you think culture is something that has a top-down approach, uh, a bottom-up approach, a combination of the two? And what scenario do you think one's more appropriate than the other?
1: So I do think that culture is bidirectional, but it does need to start with the top. And again, kind of looking at those foundational elements, the executive team needs to define the vision, the mission, and the values and they need to, again, create those operational processes that allow employees to live those values, be rewarded for those values, see those values. It's also, you can use values in a really healthy way. I remember at, um, at one of the companies I was at, we had a value of speak up, which is basically to say, say the hard thing, right? If you're thinking it, there's at least five other people in the room thinking it. And that was really beautiful because in organizations we're human junior people get scared to say the hard thing in front of senior people and when we were able to use hey i want to speak up in this moment and i want to say this thing that immediately neutralized the situation and it created a safe psychological and emotional space for people to truly communicate and that is when you really see productivity and and revenue start to rise and so uh piece, I think I might be going off the rails here, but the, you know, ultimately it does have to start at the top. But then when you give and empower people with those values to use them in a very healthy way, that's when employees start to live those values and it reverberates back up to the top. The culture reverberates back up from the employees to the executive team. And that's where you see that bi-directional flow. And again, that healthy iteration over time.
2: You think values can be very dynamic. Right, so as an executive, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've seen multiple departments have different environments and ways of, you know, getting things done. You know, engineering probably handles something different than sales or whatever the case may be. So it let's say, speak up is one of your values. Can that exist in like multiple facets, suitable to the individuals in a department? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I I definitely think values are dynamic, and I think about it in two different ways. So foundationally, yes, absolutely. An engineer could be looking at a piece of code that he or she or they know is not great, but maybe it was written by someone more senior than them. And they're able to then say, hey, I see this thing in the code and I just want to speak up about it. And can you walk me through it? Same thing from a sales perspective. Maybe you have a sales development rep who's hitting the phones and hitting the email and they are the front lines and they experience a lot. And then maybe they're looking at email copy that was written by the head of marketing or, you know, the VP of marketing and the VP of marketing not being as close to the actual market is kind of pushing this copy down the sales development rep's throat and it's not working. But how does the SDR have the courage to say, I don't think this is working. Hey, VP of marketing, I want to speak up in this moment and say, this is what I've been experiencing. This is what I've been hearing from the market. Do you think we could work on this copy and see if we can shift it in a way? And so to answer your question directly, yes, I absolutely think those are foundational values that can live across all verticals within a company. From a dynamic standpoint, what I'd like to address is, I think it's really important. I had a CEO once say, We are not a finished product. We will continue to evolve. And he hit that home over and over and over again. And there's a subtle message in there that allowed us all to think and feel, Oh, we are not perfect. We are not static. We are growing and we are evolving. That gave room and space to change and to grow and to evolve. And what I, what that also does is it gives the executive team permission. To iterate on the culture over time. And this is a careful, delicate balance because you do not want to be changing your values every week, every month, every quarter, every year. But every two to three years, almost like a website redesign, taking a look at it and seeing how it's that culture and those values are coming to life with your employees. How is this serving us? How is it serving our employee retention? How is it serving employee engagement? And then ultimately, you know, happy employees, create happy customers? How is it serving our customer loyalty? How is it serving net new client acquisition? That's when you can kind of iterate it in that sort of, again, year to three-year value system and and dynamics.
2: I I like that principle of iterating on values, but as, as an executive, how do you calculate what current team members and potential future team members want when it comes to values and curating you know, their wants and needs, or at least considering it being the growth and scale and the change that's happening within a company through time.
1: Let me ask, uh, I want to mirror back that question and make sure I understand it. So I think you're asking, how do you understand what employees want in and out of their culture and their values?
2: Yeah. So so you mentioned like, you know, you update your website every so often, but coming with that website update, there's probably new servicing and uh, products that you're offering, right? So if you uh, translate that into how you're looking at values, hey, every two, three years, we take a look, we evaluate, maybe make some adjustments, how you consider the current team members, right, in that decision making. And I'd like to assume being that you're looking to scale and grow, how do you also consider potential team members understanding where you want to be?
1: got it got it so i think this ultimately starts at a one to one level right managers meeting with their employees in one on ones on a weekly or a biweekly basis and talking about their performance as it relates to their values right if you have a performance system built on your values right so you have five five different values and you're evaluating your your employees Every six months on those values, that actually becomes how you evaluate someone's performance and understanding how, where are you struggling with these values and how are you embodying them or which values do you love? And then that communication gets bubbled up eventually to management over time through those one on ones. You also can feel it in the larger or in the sort of the larger meetings, right? Whether it's larger department meetings, larger all hands company meetings, that's where you kind of start to see, is there friction within these values? Is something not feeling right? And of course, you know, HR is systematically doing surveys and employee engagement and kind of understanding at a more cross-functional level, like how is this sitting? How is this feeling? And the bottom line is, if you think about companies from, again, revenue, aka growth, customer loyalty and employee engagement are these values serving all three of those legs of the three-legged stool and if they are you kind of have a winning ingredient and if they're not where is the friction why is it happening where's the inauthenticity cuz that's usually sort of the underlying the underbelly of friction and then how do we shift that to be a more authentic experience for the employees that are here and I think, in terms of new employees coming in, it's a little bit like a first date. You are who you are. the company is who they are. they are the culture that they are, and the employees get to say, "Am I attracted to this? am I not the the new employees when the, in the interview process, and if they're not great uh, getting to the no as they say in sales is just as important as getting to the yes um and so i I do think. That culture is malleable with the employees internally, but it is what it is. And that's what you use to attract or potentially repel employees that wouldn't be a good fit. And that's okay.
2: Moving in back to the CMO role, speaking you know, for Lacuna and yourself, what role do you have in terms of how you have to serve those underneath you and those and your customers per se? What role do you have in terms of amplifying your values and, you know, broadcasting your values and, you know, almost like reinstating those values and reassuring people on your your current values?
1: So at Lacuna, part of uh, my current CEO says, oh, Kate, you're also chief emotion officer. Um, And. When we show up into company meetings, I'm usually gauging, and this is just, this is who I am. It's not necessarily in the job title of CMO. And this is sort of the beauty and the creativity of just being in the workforce. Um, but when we're in company meetings every other week, I'm kind of gauging how exciting is the content? How are people presenting? Are, where's the relevance? Are we doing a good job? Are the engineers doing a good job of, of presenting? This new functionality, or the product team explaining why we did this and why the mark why it matters to the market, so that folks like in sales and marketing can kind of understand how are we meeting the market where it's at, and that relevancy piece is incredibly important. And that starts with coaching, right? Coaching from managers to employees, um, and under so kind of looking at that, and then just. Understanding with my other fellow executives, how are their employees feeling? How are their one-on-ones going? When the executives meet on a weekly basis, are we having any friction points and being open and honest about that? That again kind of starts with the CEO and, and a founder. If you are at a startup organization, are they creating a psychologically and emotionally safe place for their executives to say, we have a problem over here? Um, when there is smoke, there's usually fire, but if you're if you're in a space that doesn't feel safe to be able to say those things that's really hard um and then also making sure that you executives are meeting with each other one on one to understand how can my department serve your department and how is your department feeling right marketing is simplistically words and pictures right but that's but that's how we light up that's our brains right it's i think it's colors first and then Uh, numbers and then words. And so how can the marketing team bring to life the excitement that other teams are experiencing with whatever product they're rolling out or whatever whatever piece of code that they're working on? And so uh, just fostering that collaborative communication from executive to executive ultimately creates from department to department creates healthy relationships between and across the organization. Um, and I think I think that gets us to where, where we want to go.
2: Absolutely. So you mentioned earlier, you started at the, not the bottom.
1: We all start, we all start entry level.
2: <laughs> Absolutely, right? So you started entry level, you worked your way up to CMO, you transitioned more into a growth stage company where you're at now. What's your day-to-day like? And what's the contrast? with what you're going through now versus what you went through, let's say eight years ago when you first got involved?
1: I think what I love about the startup world and what I love about marketing in general is, and I know you hear this a lot, so it's a little bit of a cliche, but sort of like no day is the same depending on how your, your department is structured. Um, I'm a content marketer at heart. So I love messaging and I love positioning. And so, it could be looking at a new landing page or a new website copy or new emails for for SDRs to send out. It could also be looking at um, the evolution of our logo um, that we've been pushing for a while. It could be looking at the evolution of our brand. One of the things I've been working with um, Creative on is this concept of, I mean, you guys have heard brand refresh, brand, you know, a rebrand. And what I think about that is like, again, acknowledging I'm going off on a tangent here, but a rebrand is like a light switch, right? Like you're you're going from one point A to point B real fast. And I've had this kind of light bulb moment and later on in my career where I'm at, which is that's not how human beings like to operate. We don't like drastic change. And so it could be looking at how we're shifting slightly our color palette. It could be looking at what the difference in the angle of the photography that we're using on our website. It could be looking at the functionality of the website. I don't like how this user experience is. Can we make this more seamless? Um, could be working with sales. You know, They might need a sell sheet in two seconds that we have to quickly create. Um, one of the, the things that I do love about the startup world, and this is for every marketer out there, kind of understand who you are. I like to be reactionary. I am not actually a huge planner. I know, and I again, I probably get hand slapped for this, but I know that there are tons of marketers that get encouraged out there to plan content months in advance. The problem with that is you lose the relevancy. The world changes with our, with in real time, with all the technology that we have, everything that's going on in the world, it changes so fast. And so, I actually, my most creative moments are when I show up probably on a weekly basis to say, what is the market saying right now? What am I hearing from my sales team? How do we create the right content and the right visuals in this moment for this week? Yes, largely you have sort of a cadence in the back of your mind of how often you want to communicate to your audience. Totally get that. But give yourself the creative freedom to show up week to week to say, what has shifted? And what do we want to say this week? Um, that does mean you have to move a little bit faster. But this is, again, where hiring and working with the right people, if you are with someone who is very process-driven, who, who loves to plan, they probably are going to be a better fit at a larger organization that is more established. And if you love someone like myself, who kind of likes to move fast and break things, um, the startup world might be a little bit healthier for you. And so that's kind of what my day to day looks like. Um yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. I can I can co sign that and say I'm also someone who's not really a big planner myself and sort of likes to uh, build the plane as I'm flying it, right? Um so so you know, you've given so much uh so many so many tips already. Um just in general to to anyone in marketing would probably get so much value from it. The concept of losing relevancy right there, describing the workplace, telling anyone in the workplace to speak up. Um, Just in general, what advice would you offer to young marketers out there really hungry to make their mark, want to enter the industry, they're passionate about it? What could you say to them?
1: Strategically and tactically, think about what business model you ultimately want to sell to. Is it B2B, B2G, or B2C? do your research, informationally interview folks in your network that have experience with those business models and understand sort of their perspective. If you're not finding the right people in your network, this is where podcasts and blogs come in handy, not unlike this podcast. And you'd be surprised through osmosis of that content, again, whether it's written or you're listening to it, you're going to start to look at the world and think about the world differently. Your lexicon is going to change. And you are going to show up differently in spaces whether it's in meetings with coworkers interviews with potential employers or even at cocktail parties with your friends you're going to start to elevate yourself across the different contexts in your life which it is it's going to build it's going to be an ego boost for you which is a really great thing so once you kind of understand your business model then start to think about the actual type of marketing that sounds interesting to you is it content is it events is it brand Is it advertising, crisis communications, digital marketing, social, SEO, the list goes on. Learn everything you can about the specific vertical or verticals you think you want to go into. And even if you find yourself accepting a role that's not quite what you wanted or it's adjacent to the specific type of marketing you wanted to do, that's okay. Specifically in a more junior position, you're going to learn so much. The dirty little secret about life is that we learn through process of elimination. We learn... What we like through understanding what we don't like. And so, getting into those roles, you're going to learn again so much about yourself, the types of organizational structure you like, the type of culture that's very supportive to you, as well as even the performance metrics that drive you. And finally, most people get a little squeamish when we talk about family in the workplace, when we combine those two. And the bottom line is your coworkers are your family. You spend more hours with your coworkers than we do our own families. And in fact, we spend 90,000 hours of our lives working. And It's a statistic I just read from Seth Godin. And I say all of this to mean that sometimes it's just as important, if not more, the family you choose to work with than it is the marketing you think you'd like to do. Do you like and respect the majority of the people to your left and to your right? Do you Look up to the CEO. Do you admire the executive team? At the bottom, we forget sometimes that companies are just a collection of human beings. To go back to where we started, humans, human behavior. And I was list- recently listening to Brene, bo- Brene Brown's Dare to Lead podcast, and she was interviewing Mike Irwin, and he's a West Point grad, highly decorated military officer, and he in his latest book actually spoke a lot about love. And how love in the workplace, love for your coworkers is incredibly important, not only for culture building and healthy evolution, but also for driving revenue. And for all intents and purposes, this is a man that could be labeled as hypermasculine given his background and his experience. And he's out there in the world pushing this idea of love and family in the workplace. And so if someone like that can be doing that, I think a lot of us can sort of lay down our armor and get on board. Um, and so for young marketers, don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of the squishy, the squishiness of life. That's actually where the juice and the beauty is, but also do your work, figure out the business model that you, that you like, that you want to sell to figure out the type of marketing you'd like to do, and then just learn by showing up and experiencing the culture that's most supportive to you.
2: Any thoughts on modern entry points, jumping into the marketing field, you know, beyond, uh, I'm going to university, I'm pursuing a major in marketing. Have you seen unique routes that people have taken to not necessarily get to where you are, but at least take a take a foot within the marketing space or the marketing industry, whether it be, I don't know, boot camps or anything of that realm?
1: I I have not, but that's also just being very candid, it's probably because I've been removed from that part of my life for quite some time. Um, So I haven't, but again, I think this is where it goes back to what kind of, Business model, do you want? Do you want to sell to a business? Do you want to sell to a consumer? Do you want to sell to the government? Right. And then that alone is going to help you narrow down what industries within those business models that you would like. And just as yourself, as an individual, this is where marketing is actually quite beautiful because we are all consumers. We are constantly walking around and being marketed to. What are the brands? You know, Warren Buffett will say, I invest in the brands, or the advice is, Invest in the brands that you actually buy, that you actually wear. It's the same thing with marketing. What do you like? What brands do you buy from? What what um What is exciting to you? And that can get a little bit different because, again, sometimes that's just B2C. But that's where, again, digging into your network and understanding, okay, I like this, but let me explore what B2B could look like. Let me explore B2C. Um, Do I have an interest in climate? Maybe I'll go into the energy field. Do I have an interest in law? Maybe I want to become a marketer for the legal profession. Um, And so that is where marketing is kind of beautiful when you think about young marketers, because you might have an underlying passion for an industry that you're scared about, that that you're not quite ready to look at. I'm not quite sure I want to go there. But being a marketer for that industry is a really beautiful way to grow yourself, to grow your career and to have a blast doing it.
0: Yeah, definitely. And as a marketer, you get to see that industry from all different types of angles Um, that I don't think in other sorts of professions you really can. Uh, So I think it's so interesting. Thank you for giving all those gems out to the future marketers of the world. All listen to the brand and beyond podcast right now. They're really appreciated that I can imagine um kate last question for you that we like to ask everyone here what's one question that you that you'd like to ask whoever it may be maybe another marketer executive someone you look up to that help that would really benefit you right now uh, in your career journey at this point of course
1: one question that i would like someone to ask me or one question i'd like to ask
0: you'd like to ask someone that would help you on your career journey right now at this moment what's what's been on your heart you know
1: What has been,
0: what's something you've been dealing with? You're like, damn, I had the answer to this right now. If I could just, if I could just expedite this, you know?
1: Yeah. What has been the single greatest mistake that you have made in your career? And what have you learned from it? And I think the reason I want to be careful with that, because we do have a tendency from an evolutionary standpoint to always find the negative, right? It was how we stayed alive, looking, scanning the environment. Where's the saber tooth tiger? We still do that to this day. We constantly look for how can we improve? How can we improve? How can we improve? And we need to celebrate the good much more than we do as a culture, in the workplace, as a civilization. And also, similar to like we learn through process of elimination, we learn from our mistakes. I do think coming at your mistakes from a compassionate lens and understanding someone who has far more experience than me, someone who has founded and sold companies, who is, you know, IPO'd, I would love to know what is your single greatest mistake and what did you learn from it. Cause not only will that teach me the actual tangible mistake to avoid, but it also teach me the resilience of that human being and who they are and how they think about the world.
0: Yeah, There's so much to be learned um, when you make that mistake and that mistake could take you to the the depths of hell right and you're struggling to get out of there and how did that person get out of there you could really learn the most about a person in time of that sort of intensity uh kate you've been absolutely amazing please tell everybody where can they find more about you and lacuna
1: Ah, uh, so i am on linkedin i'm at kate s wood on instagram i'm in the reverse wood s kate And I am on Facebook as well. There's a lot of Kate Woods in the world. So just to narrow it down, I live in Denver. I went to Bucknell University. Hopefully that'll be helpful. Um, And we are at uh, lacuna.ai and also on LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, Instagram,
0: uh, all the things. (laughs) Beautiful. Make sure you go check out Kate and more about Lacuna. They're doing some amazing things for society as a whole. Uh, Kate, again, thank you so much. You're absolutely fantastic. So many gems you dropped on here today. And to everyone who listens to the Brand and Beyond podcast, thank you very much. And until next time.